think that all of us in our lives have a, a great need to know how to discover and to nurture and how to rest in sanctuaries of calmness and stillness. Because these are the places when we discover them that really show us how to listen well to ourselves and to our world. And these sanctuaries, they seem often so rare and so removed, especially in the lives that many of us find ourselves living, lives that seem to be so filled, overfilled with busyness and with complexity. These sanctuaries of stillness and calmness, they are not obviously geographical, <clears throat> that they lie within ourselves. And all of us have had in our lives moments when we really know what it feels like to be connected and what it feels like to be awake and what it feels like to be really resting in a spaciousness within our own being. Yet those moments often feel random. And in the busyness of our lives, I think those moments can often feel far too rare. So many people speak of the need to find some space, to get away, to find some sense of calmness. And these are moments that speak to us with a message we need to listen to. They are moments perhaps that tell us of the ways that we may be neglecting ourselves. They are moments or feelings that are not going to be solved just by geographically removing ourselves from things that are difficult or challenging. <clears throat> Those feelings of needing space, of needing calmness, are feelings that are perhaps much more going to be resolved through exploring our own moment-to-moment -moment connection with how we live our lives. If we feel that we do not have access to those inner sanctuaries of calmness and stillness, then those feelings are worth attending to because they are speaking to us about disconnection. And actually there is no greater pain and no more fertile breeding ground for tension, for judgment, for conflict than that essential feeling of being disconnected from ourselves. Thomas Merton once said, what can we gain by sailing to the moon if we are not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? This is the most important of all voyages of discovery, and without it, all of the rest are useless. And for me, this is a very, it's a very touching and a very wise statement. You know, there are so many journeys we can make in our lives, so many things we can do, so many things we can achieve, 
so many interests we can spend our time on, so many ways in which we can use our time up. And yet, if we do and travel all of those journeys without making this most essential journey of being intimate with ourselves and at being at, of being at home within ourselves, then I feel we experience what it means to never really feel at home anywhere. And to be at home within our own being, to be able to befriend ourselves, to accommodate our fears, our imperfections, our anxieties, to be able to accommodate all of this without judgment, without rejection, to be able to accommodate and accept our own hungers, our own moments of faltering, if we can accept and accommodate all of this without judgment, if we can appreciate our strengths, our gifts, our intentions, what we have to offer, we also come to feel at home within ourselves. And when we are at home within ourselves, we are at home in all circumstances and in all moments. When we have moments in our life of true and deep connection, we know that those moments are filled with richness. We are awake, we are attentive. Those moments in our lives sometimes take us by surprise. You know, we can go for a walk in the woods and begin that walk with a mind which is busy and in turmoil. And suddenly something can touch us. Just the sound of a bird or the sight of a tree in the sunlight. And suddenly so many of those thoughts can drop away. And we really appreciate in that moment what it really is to listen well, to see fully. There are moments when we may be speaking with a friend and often we experience speaking with our friend, our mind already filled with its own answers and retorts and sometimes we can just stop and we can really totally listen to another person and know in that moment of listening what it means really to touch the heart of another. I'm sure there are very many moments with your children when you find yourself to be totally there, to be touched by the sound of a child's laughter or the sound of a child's tears and to be so fully present that whether that moment is a moment that holds pain or that holds happiness, it is a moment of richness made rich by the quality of our presence the quality of our connection. Think of the moments when your child, your, your children were born. That sense of connectedness, that sense of vitality and alertness. No one ever had to instruct us to pay attention. We were there. And we see so often our quality of presence in this world. If we are wholehearted, if we are really there, whether those moments hold pain or joy, they are not moments of avoidance. They are not moments of aversion or resistance. They are moments of intimacy and a true and deep connectedness. 
And those moments also do speak with their own truth. You know, we know when we are connected. We know when we are intimate. We know when we are present. And there is this most curious phenomena of the mind that is endlessly trying to convince us that it is better to be somewhere else. You know, that curious phenomena of the mind that is endlessly parading thoughts, cravings, distractedness, fantasies, dwelling on the past, almost with a kind of fuel and momentum that our minds sometimes have to continue somehow trying to convince us there is a better place to be than with just the simplicity of this moment. I feel so much of meditation practice is about opening to the wonder and the mystery of simplicity, knowing that when we are truly present in that simplicity, we are touched by our world and we are touched by ourselves. And there is no substitute for that quality of connectedness. When we have moments in our lives when we feel, feel so filled with busyness and tension and doing, I think we can forget the beauty and the richness of those moments until the point comes when we feel overloaded or burned out or exhausted. And then we remember, perhaps, that sometimes we remember only in the thought of, oh yes, I need to get some space, I need to go on retreat, I need to get away. And it is true that coming on a retreat offers us a real sanctuary. For many people, they find that coming on a retreat, having some time to be still, having some time to attend well, that we can change remarkably in the space of days. That in the space of days or hours, we can rediscover calmness, groundedness, balance, connectedness, sensitivity. And I think sometimes because the transformation that can happen on a retreat can be so radical and so quick, we think, well, you know, retreats are the solution, you know. There's some sort of calmness invested in the bricks of this building. And on some level, that may be true. But it is also true that any transformations that come through meditation practice, they come not because of the geography alone, not because of the schedule, not because of the silence, not because of the support. None of these factors alone or even together can bring about transformation without the most single important factor that we carry within ourselves. And that is our willingness to attend. That is our willingness to attend. Our willingness to attend is the most transformative quality we can ever nurture. Without it, all of the rest of the things we may do in meditation will not bring about transformation. 
Now, all of you have had some experience with sitting, and you know that it's possible to sit in many different ways. I mean, it's quite possible to spend a whole day on a meditation cushion planning a vacation. It's not, it's not difficult. It's possible to spend a whole day on a meditation cushion, lost in fantasy, you know, lost in the past, lost in planning menus, lost in some grand plan for the future. It is possible to do all of this on a meditation cushion. There's no guarantee that just because we sit down, something's going to happen. This willingness to attend is what transforms us on retreat, and it is what transforms us in our lives. Our willingness to attend is what brings us closer to the moment. It brings us closer to ourselves. It brings us closer to another person. It is the factor which can change our lives because it changes our experience of this moment. And I feel it is so important to bear in mind that when changes come about on retreat, when things alter, when there's more calmness, it is not because something magical has happened. It is because we have nourished ourselves. It is because we have really nourished that inner willingness to be present. I think it is easy to see that that capacity to nurture that, it has nothing to do with where we are. It has to do with how we are, with remembering, with remembering what a radical and transformative quality that is. If there is one thing in this path that is worth dedicating ourselves to, it is to that simple reminding ourselves. Be willing to attend. Be willing to be present. Nourishment is something we all need to consider in our lives. In my experience, those people who have the most difficulty in really feeling that they have an ongoing vital spiritual life are those people who find and feel themselves to be most isolated, to be without nourishment. There is something really remarkable that happens in community. I mean, I think we experience that here on this retreat that there is such a variety of people with different backgrounds and different aspirations. And yet somehow you see reflected all around you on a retreat, on this retreat, that willingness to learn, the willingness to grow, the honoring of calmness, the honoring of wisdom and compassion, to see that in the face of others nourishes us deeply just as we nourish others. It is so worthwhile to really seek community in our lives. And that doesn't mean just, you know, finding people who think exactly the same as us, who believe as we do, who have exactly the same practice. But to seek for communities of honesty, to seek for communities of openness, to seek for communities of spiritual friends, 
And spiritual friends are not just teachers. They are people who we can rely upon for integrity and for honesty and for understanding. Nourishment is given to us in many ways. Nourishment is given to us and found through taking times to sit, to be in nature, to be with our, a child wholeheartedly. can be deeply nourishing. Whatever allows us and helps us to be present and reminds us of what we truly value in our lives, this nourishes us. You know, it is so easy to get lost in our world of doing, of performing and appearing. And yet the moments when we are alone with ourselves, these are moments, these are moments that speak to us of the depth of our connection or of our disconnection. If you were to go, any of you, and some of you have done this, if you were to go into a long retreat or go into a monastery for a period of time to undertake a long retreat, there are a number of things that would be asked of you in order for you to be able to be there and to benefit from being there. If you were to go on a long retreat or into a monastery, you would be asked to have a remarkable patience because all of us know that deepening and understanding is not a linear, a progressive path. So often it is a path of moments of clarity, moments of confusion, moments of richness, moments of being lost, moments of calmness, and moments of incredible mind storms. And all of us know to be on a retreat, what it means to have, <coughs> to have that patience, that willingness to be steadfast. <coughs> if you were to go into a long retreat, you would be asked to have faith you will be asked to have a deep and profound faith, not only in the practice, but in yourself as a human being capable of being awake and aware and compassionate. If you were to go on a long retreat, you would be asked to cultivate the qualities of letting go, of not holding, of not grasping anywhere, of knowing that spaciousness and openness comes through letting go. You will be asked to let go of what has gone by, to let go of dwelling upon the present, and to let go of dwelling upon the future. If you would be to go on a long retreat, you will be asked to develop the quality of compassion, of forgiveness, of restraining, refraining from judgment, from harshness, from forming conclusions, to bring a warmness and softness of heart. If you were to go on a long retreat, you would be asked to cultivate the quality of surrender, not surrender to something or to someone, but that quality of surrendering just into the moment with all that it brings, of having no conditions, and of welcoming whatever each moment brought. 
Now, if you were to bring a monk or a nun into your family and ask that monk or nun to raise your children, run your household, do your work, do your dishes, mow the lawn, attend to the sleepless nights, what are the qualities that that monk or nun would have to bring in order to raise your family, run your household, attend to the sleepless nights? They would have to have patience to be with the ups and downs. They would have to have remarkable faith in themselves, in their capacity to do this well, to be all of who they were. That monk or nun would have to know how to let go, to let go of their desires and their choices, their preferences. Parents don't have choices all the time. They would be asked to develop compassion and forgiveness for themselves in the moments when they found themselves frustrated and impatient and to develop compassion and forgiveness for, their ch for the children when they stumbled and faltered. If you brought a nun or a monk into your family and asked them to be there for a week and to do all that you do, they would have to develop and nurture a remarkable quality of surrender. You know they wouldn't be able to say, no, you know, no, it's, it's too bad, you're filthy and hungry, I feel like sitting now, you know? No, you know, you're supposed to be asleep, you know, this is nighttime. No, 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 you know, I, don't, I can't be with this particular mind state. That quality of surrender. It is not so different. What is needed for us to be in our lives well, to do what we do well, and to be whole as a human being and as a parent, the qualities and the paramis are actually no different than the qualities and paramis a monk or a nun would need in order to undertake a long retreat or live in a monastery. I feel it is so important to see that parallel, to see that relationship, because it is so easy for us, if I've already spoken about, to make these dichotomies and hierarchies and to look even in envy at someone who lives in a monastery or does a three-month retreat and think, oh, they have a higher path. But look at the qualities that are needed to be a parent and to have parenting as a path. Those most remarkable qualities of the spiritual life are called to the forefront of our lives. And I think it is so important to know how to honor that, to really and deeply know how to honor that. We have so little history that supports us in being able to honor deeply the spiritual potential of our lives. And yet what we do is actually the future of the Dharma, the future of our world, and it is setting and creating an example which is crucial in our world. There's a story of a sadhu in India, a holy man in India who lives in Rishikesh, and many people come from all over India to meet this sadhu 
because he's said to be so powerful and so wise. And the amazing thing about this sadhu is that he never speaks. He never speaks. That he lives in a little hut beside a waterfall. And every morning he gets up out of his hut and he goes and stands beside the waterfall and watches it all day. And many people stand around watching him, watching the waterfall. And he stands there all day, and at the end of the day, he bows to the waterfall and says, well done. Every night before you go to bed, you should bow to yourself and say, well done. To remind yourself of what is involved and what is engaged in being able to live a conscious life a life of love, a life of living practice. There are a few areas I would like to talk about, and one of them is sitting. Now, I think all of us find that to be still is a wonderful healing space. To be still is a time of renewal. It is a time of rediscovering what we value. It is a time of connection. All of us need these times of being still in our lives. They are deeply nourishing for us. For many people, and I think especially parents, you know, it is not simply not always possible to find the times. I would like to remind you that it is not written in the sutras anywhere that thou shalt sit for 45 minutes or it is a waste of time. This is not written. We may not be able to find long stretches to sit. Oh, but we have many small moments in our day when we can be still. We have many, many small moments in our day when we can stop and to be still. Sometimes, I think for many people, there is a greater value in being still 30 times in the day for two minutes than sitting for 45 minutes in the morning and then forgetting it. You know, there's a kind of common belief, you know, that, you know, if you sit for kind of 45 minutes in the morning, you've done your duty for the day. Almost believing like meditation is something like gassing up your car, you know, that you sort of fill it up and then it's going to go for so many miles before it runs to a standstill. But this is not meditation. You know, meditation is something that we live It is about learning how to pause and stop and listen endless number of times in our day to remember just to stop for a moment. All of us can stop for moments. It seems to me that one of the greatest causes of disconnection, tension, stress, and all of those things is accumulation. One of the greatest causes of disconnection is accumulation. Not knowing how to let go, but instead carrying one moment into the next moment, into the next moment, into the next moment, until by the end of the day we feel we are bursting with all of the details of every moment of that day. It is so important to remember that our lives are filled with beginnings and endings. They are filled with beginnings and endings. 
we begin a telephone conversation, we end it, and we begin something else. We end eating our dinner and we move into another activity in our work. We make finish one task before we move on to another. Our lives are filled with beginnings and endings, beginnings and endings. When we don't notice those beginnings and endings, our lives appear to be filled with an uninterrupted flow of activity, but they are not, not for any of us. If we can actually learn to pay more attention to our beginnings and endings, we are learning the path of not accumulating. Think of it, you know, when you've finished a conversation and you don't consciously finish it and complete it, you begin to talk to the next person in your day and your mind is still filled with this conversation. What kind of attention are you bringing to that person? It is very partial. It is very incomplete and fragmented. So then we don't know how to complete that well and we go into our next task and soon our mind is filled. We are hardly there at all. There are many things that end in our lives and they're not completed. This is true. And yet our attention <coughs> is moving away from them into something else. Those are the moments we need to know how to psychologically complete and end that which no longer requires our attention. To pay clear attention to the transitions you make in your day, your beginnings and endings, it's a practice of letting go. It's a pra real practice of letting go. If you're able to take just a moment to pause between ending one thing and beginning another, to come back to your body, to come back to your hands, to know that that is completed before you begin the next. Truly, you are learning to live in a spirit of letting go. You are learning to find space within the moment you are present. To know how to end something well is also to know how to open well to a new beginning. The kindergarten of wisdom is knowing in our lives what contributes to confusion and conflict and knowing what contributes to clarity and well-being. Most of our practice we spend in the kindergarten learning what contributes to confusion and disconnection and what contributes to well-being and to understanding. This is what we need to learn from our lives. If we can learn what really contributes to confusion and conflict, what contributes to well-being and understanding, our path actually becomes much clearer for us as individuals. It does become much clearer to us what it is that we need to let go of and what it is that we need to nurture. You know, there is, you know, on one level there is a path that we all share, the path of the Dharma, you know, that teaches about freedom, about peace, about harmony, about the way to travel. But on another level, each one of us, of course, is unique. We have our own lives, our own histories, our own ways of seeing, 
And on, an, on that level, we also need to learn how to travel our own path. And this rests upon our own wisdom towards really seeing in our lives, in our experience, where do we find suffering? Where do we find sorrow? Where do we find conflict? Can we understand its cause? Do we know what we need to let go of? It might be aversion, it might be judgment, it might be grasping, it might be busyness, it might be distractedness. Do we know what we need to let go of? In our lives, we know where we find happiness. We know where we find joy and connectedness. We know the moments in our experience and in our lives where we connect with calmness. Where is it found? What is it that we need to nurture? You know, this practice that we do here, it's called insight practice. Nobody practices insight. I would like just to make that clear. There is no such thing as practicing insight. What we do is we cultivate an environment in meditation that is receptive to understanding. We cultivate calmness and spaciousness that is receptive to understanding. I think sometimes the word insight becomes a little bit cliched. You know, I practice insight meditation, or I'm an insight meditator, you know, or I go to the Insight Meditation Society, and, you know, it becomes a little bit cliched. But I think it is really, you know, and I think sometimes in becoming overused, you know, we forget what insight is. I mean, sometimes when we think about insight, understanding, it may feel like, you know, what we might find ourselves asking, well, you know, how do we get insight? Or is insight something that is kind of magical and mysterious? Well, on one level, I would say it's true. There is something about understanding that is very mysterious. But on another level, I would say that 99.9% of people who ever come to IMS are filled with insight. They are so, have so much insight. They have understanding. We all have an enormous amount of insight. I mean, we don't need, you know, if I was to say, give you a little exercise and say, please, Spend half an hour and tell me what causes conflict in your life. Spend half an hour and tell me what brings peace and understanding. Well, we have all had a life. We have all had many experiences. We have all encountered in many ways, you know, the things within us that lead to disconnection and conflict. We know this. We know what brings happiness and freedom. We know that grasping and dwelling and rejection and denial bring conflict. We know that disconnection brings suffering. We know that judgment brings suffering. We know that spaciousness and allowing and generosity and compassion bring happiness. We don't need an expert to tell us this. We all have this understanding. The greatest challenge for all of us is to allow the understanding that we have 
in our minds and in our hearts, to allow that to sink deeply. And our greatest challenge is to live in accord with what we know to be true. This is a challenge for every person who comes on a retreat. It is a challenge for us as parents to live in harmony with what we know to be true. This is where the path becomes somewhat exciting and challenging. Because to live in accord with our understanding, to live in accord with our insight, it sometimes it might mean letting go of pleasures. It might mean facing our aversions or fears. It might mean letting go of, of habits of distractedness. It might mean opening to our own insecurities and anxieties. This is where the path becomes challenging, to actually live in accord with what we understand to be true. When we live in accord with what we understand to be true, then we begin to understand what it means to live with a meditative spirit, to live in a spirit of freedom, to live in a spirit that is of meditativeness, that is truly alive and vital. It is so worthwhile to reflect on this because this is where we find a life of integrity and sincerity, a life where we feel honest within ourselves. And it is also a life where our understanding deepens and fills us with happiness. It is a challenge faced by every single person who ever enters this path. One more thing I'd just like to mention to you. <clears throat> Mother Teresa once said that we are not asked to do great things in our lives, that we are asked to do small things with great love. seems to me that these words of doing small things with great love, they really describe mindfulness practice. They really describe a meditative life, of really knowing that there is nothing that we do that is irrelevant or unworthy of our wholehearted attention. That every word, every action, everything we engage in makes its own ripples in our world and in our hearts to do small things with great love. This is the practice of mindfulness. One last thing I'd like to read to you that some of you know, which describes the path of parenting and it describes the path of meditation. It's called an autobiography in five chapters. Chapter one, as I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. 
There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. Is I walk down a different street. We could sit together for just one minute. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.